0: thousand years will only begin to let us release the praise that you will somehow have birthed in our hearts because of your goodness to us. Father, we've already received so much and yet only a thimble full of the blessings that will be ours for eternity. Bless you, Lord God, for being a God who blesses your people so richly. In your holy name, we give you praise this morning and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. amen, amen. Wow, well, wasn't Easter awesome this last, this last Sunday? What a day for all those folks that were a part of the, the journey to the cross and uh, making Easter Day happen. And there was only about 150 of you uh, that made that possible. And uh, I just thank you for making that a day that was truly a celebration. Yeah, absolutely. Give those people a hand. Um, as you know, let me start with a few uh, um, comments before communion. As you know, our general conference met this, uh, this last year, and just this week, our uh, United Methodist Supreme Court, the General Judicial Council, has returned its findings about the legislation that was passed there. And this morning, I, I'm thankful to report that the Judicial Council's rulings are that the traditional plan is upheld, that the gracious exit is upheld and it it was very questionable whether or not uh, that would actually happen so um, uh, the gracious exit that has been upheld is for those who are conscientious objectors to uh, the discipline as it is and has read for the last forty five years on issues of of human sexuality Um, and uh marriage and so forth and, and ordination, those those have been upheld. And should a church requ- uh, decide a gracious exit, the pathway for that would be a two-thirds vote by a church conference, which means uh, everybody who's a member of the church gets to vote. It would take a two-thirds vote of that church. Uh, that You'd have to pay unfunded pension liabilities and pay one year of apportionments, which for us would be around 80000 and the Oklahoma annual conference then after all that had been done would have to ratify that all the other United Methodist churches in Oklahoma would have to agree at least 51 percent to allow that to happen so that's the pathway by which that happens I knew I was going to get questions about that I thought I might as well just go ahead and tell you uh, that that's what it is but what does this mean that these things have been upheld that's the next slide It means that uh, we are retaining our sexuality policies as they've been written for quite some time. It also means that accountability is ratcheted up and more defined. Those who have defied the discipline that our church has agreed upon uh, and have gotten around uh, any kind of consequences for that, that will no longer be the case. Uh, In particular, should a United Methodist pastor um, decide and it's of his conscience to do a a same-sex marriage that that person's uh, employment would be suspended without pay for one year. If it happened a second time, that pastor's credentials would be uh, uh, stripped. Uh, So they're serious about this. Uh, If this is the church's will and this is the law of the church, then... We really do expect people to follow it. And uh, whether or not those uh, measures of accountability will be honored or not, if there are still loopholes around them, we'll discover. Uh, but for now, that this is what this means, that the sexual sexuality policies are retained, that the accountability is more defined than ever before, that objectors may disassociate if they don't want to live with that. We don't want to hold anybody um, uh, hostage, against their conscience so if a church feels like that's not what God calls them to do we want to allow a gracious exit for that church to do what they want to disassociate from the uh, the larger body and to take their properties with them Um, uh, which is uh, it's gracious and uh, the irreconcilable differences nevertheless remain this does not mean that this issue has been resolved In fact, it probably means our church is divided over this issue as much and as in uh, a greater polarity than ever before. Uh, So the issue at hand has not gone away. Um, How it will play itself out in the future, uh, there's a likelihood now that an amicable separation may happen at the spring 2020 General Conference. Usually those are every four years, but since this last one was especially called General Conference, it came up within that four-year span, so the next one is coming right on the heels here in seven, in, uh, in May of, of 2020. And right now, those who are at the opposite ends, I, I guess, on this issue, those who are traditionalists and those who are the most progressive are now talking together uh, about what is the best way to avoid the kind of rancor at a general conference and and divisiveness and hurt that was at our last general conference Uh we're hoping to avoid that. Um, the church is coming to a uh, growing uh, consensus that uh, trying to maintain our unity when we're not really unified is uh, uh, maybe not the wisest of things. We need to release each other to follow our own consciences. And, and so in 2020, there's a likelihood, more partnership than ever before, that some gracious way of dividing the church, rather than those who feel disenfranchised having to leave, uh, the church actually divide into at least two, maybe three different denominational bodies, um, which would be far less messy uh, than individual churches having to leave uh, the denomination. What that will mean is that if... The church splits into three different groups. That we will already be in a conservative uh, denomination for the future. That will probably take much of the shape that the Westland Covenant Association has has scripted for, for that kind of beginning. It may not be exactly as was anticipated, uh, but but it'll be more to to that uh, that kind of shape. And another thing that this means is that if the church is allowed to separate the separation will probably not come as was anticipated between the American church, which was growing liberal and progressive, and the international church, which is predominantly very conservative. So rather than the global church breaking off from the American church, there's a good chance that those conservative global Christians will retain a connection to the conservative body of the denomination, and, and some of them may choose the, the progressive body as well. They, they may have some differences there. They'll be allowed to choose as well. Uh, but the chance that we may stay connected and in even a more meaningful way to our global fellowship I think is a real plus. Uh, the United Methodist Church is not just an American expression. It's an expression around the globe, and it's actually growing elsewhere around the globe at a much faster rate than it is declining in America. Uh, so, um, all, all of that's good news. And and speaking of this global connection, uh, I've become more and more aware of these folks. Actually, the next two, after this next general conference, our next two general conferences will be uh, not on American soil. They will be in Manila, uh, I think is one of those places, and in Africa. So, already the... the the majority of our, our church is becoming international, not just U.S. nationals. And uh, the nature of our church as it moves forward will have that kind of flavor to it, which I think is really, really cool and exciting. Uh, God in the Philippines, in Africa, there is revival right now uh, that is known as United Methodist Revival. In fact, that's one of the things the Africans are most pained about. They don't want to get disassociated from that name. Because it is the name of revival in Africa, and one of the most respected churches in Africa is the United Methodist Church in Africa. So, uh, one of those fellows is uh, a, a guy named Dr. Jerry Kula. He gets his fashion tips from me, but um, he 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 is one of our our international uh, delegates, and probably one of the most vocal at our last General Conference and the General Conference previous. He is now the. Uh, uh, the dean or the president of the uh, seminary in Liberia. And, and looking at this guy, you know, he's got his big watch on, and if it wasn't for the green coat, he, he might be from Chicago. You know, you, you wouldn't know. But the flavor of what is a part of our church because of people like Dr. Cherry Kula is an exciting thing to me. Almost all of the Africans are first-generation Christians. This is true of Dr. Jerry Kula. He grew up in a a village uh, under a, a tribal leadership. In fact, his father was the chief. He is one of 47 children to this chief who had seven wives, many concubines. And his father... He hardly knows. He had nothing to do with him. The children were not his responsibility. His children and his wives were there to serve him. That's how it worked in their tribal culture. He grew up completely estranged. At the age of six, his older brother took him to Monrovia and there sold him into slavery for the money. At six years of old age, he grows up in Monrovia and there has a, has a teacher who witnesses to him about Christ, and he becomes a Christian. And in junior high, he starts living out his faith with such effectiveness that other teachers said that he ought to be a preacher. He ought to go to seminary. But in little Jerry Kulai's heart, his hope was to someday make enough money that he could go home and free his brothers and sisters, his real brothers and sisters. And so he'd never known a Methodist pastor that wasn't poor. He thought God must be poor. He wasn't going to do that. He went to get a degree in in engineering. And it started that life when a uh, civil war broke out in Liberia. Some 250,000 people were killed in that civil war. He didn't know how many of his family, if his mom was killed. He always wanted to save her out of that life from which he had come. And in the midst of that uh, civil war, he was uh, dying of hunger and decided to uh, walk through the streets uh, exposed to the guerrilla warfare in order to find food. And in doing so, he had put on several layers of clothes. So he he might uh, shed the clothes in case he was identified and captured and, and walk on looking different. Uh, And he didn't realize that just wearing all those clothes made him look like he was concealing something. And one of the generals, as he was walking through the crowd, yanked him out of the crowd, threw him behind a cement wall, and told the guy behind him to shoot him with his AK-47. Jerry was trembling before that AK-47 as it was lowered to his chest. And the guy who was lowering it towards his chest could not hear him saying over and over again, I am not a rebel. I am not a rebel. And saying he was not a rebel, another tape was running in his head, and it was one crying out to God to save him, the God that he felt like maybe he had even abandoned, but he had remembered was a gracious God, and he was calling out to God to save him. At that point, the fellow who had a gun on his chest said, take off your layers of clothes. And as he took off his layers of clothes, a plastic bag was thrown at his feet. He knew not from where the the, Uh, the soldier didn't have a plastic bag he thought he was stealing his clothes before he shot him he put all of his clothes in the bag and as the general turned back as he was killing others to tell this guy to kill Jerry uh, and then turned back to do his business with others the guy with the AK-47 popped him on the head with with the barrel of the gun and said run for your life take your clothes and run for your life he couldn't believe what he was hearing. He grabbed his clothes and he ran, expecting a, a, a gun blast in his back as he ran away, but he got away. And after getting away, he had a moment with God. And God said, Jerry, where's your mom? Jerry, where's your brothers and sisters? He said, Lord, I don't know. And the Lord said, I know. Why don't you follow me? And Jerry did. As a college student, he started witnessing to his faith. He went on to seminary the third year in seminary. His wife, Ruth, rejoined him. She was not killed. They were married. He was later reunited with his mom, with many of his brothers and sisters. He's delivered many of them out of slavery and has supported them in life post-Civil War. Jerry Kula does not follow Jesus because it makes intellectual sense to him. Because it was a rational argument presented to him someday. He doesn't even follow Jesus, he thinks, because it was some choice that he initiated. Jerry Kula follows Jesus because Jesus saved him. Because Jesus became real in his life. Because it's more real than anything else to him. And he will not abandon his Lord. What? And go back to the, to the tribal ways of his predecessors? To be a father like the father he had? Are you kidding me? There is no way. There's no way that this guy is giving up the redemptive gospel that has saved his life and reformed his family. A gospel that says uh, that God created us male and female for each other. In his culture, the Christian standards are not something that restrict people from their freedom. They are something that have redeemed them from their past. He's not about to let go of that. Nor are most of those first generation Christians in Africa and in the Philippines. And somehow I think the way forward keeps us connected to brothers and sisters like that what connects us is not an institution. What connects us is what we partake of at this table. That Jesus is risen. That he's real. That he's alive. And that whatever it costs to serve a God like that, it's a bargain. It's worth it. 10,000 reasons when you know he's the giver of life maybe you only need one on the night in which he gave himself up for us Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to the father and he, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me likewise after supper jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to you our father and he gave it to his disciples and he said take and drink from this all of you for this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so lord god in remembrance of you we do these things we pray that you pour out your holy spirit on these gifts of juice and bread and as we partake of them, Lord God, our faith reaches up to you as a point of contact that you might pour your spirit afresh into us. Make us one with each other and one with Christ. One with Jerry Kula and one with those who call upon your name around the globe. May we walk in that newness of life that your grace alone supplies, even as we pray glory forever. Amen. 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 The middle station will be the one that's gluten-free this morning if that's what you require. God bless you as you come.